rest of you can turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Last week we were in chapter 1 and we talked about the supremacy of Jesus. We talked about how God has spoken to us through and in His Son Jesus Christ. And the rest of that chapter 1 dealt with the supremacy of Jesus over the angels. You know, there's no other book really like the book of Hebrews. It lifts up Jesus, uh, I would say, more than any other book. Revelation may compare close to lifting up Christ to us and explaining who He is and, and what He is about. But I would say Hebrews leads the way in that explanation of who Jesus is, the supremacy of who Jesus is. This morning we're going to look at the first warning. There's five warnings we find in the book of Hebrews. This morning we're going to look at the first warning, and we're going to talk in detail about that. So when you stand uh, turning to page, well, not page, but Hebrews chapter 2, in my Bible it's page 619, uh, but yours might be different. Hebrews chapter 2, let's read beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing witness with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Let's pray together. Father, bless Your Word today in our hearts. Lord, help us to see who Jesus is. Help us to surrender to Him and lift Him high above as He deserves in our life. Help us to be obedient and follow His will for our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you again for standing. You know, we read there that there's something that we need to be careful about, and it's drifting away from the gospel. People don't do that on purpose. You don't drift away from God on purpose. Certainly not. You become careless in your walk with Him. You become careless in mind. You become unaware of things that are happening to you in your Christian life. And therefore you begin to drift away from what you have heard. It's not just teaching here that the writer of Hebrews is trying to give us. It is an idea that he wants to motivate our heart so that we would move to action. It's not just about academic knowledge that we read the Bible it's really to move us to a place where God wants us to be in our life. And this writer tells us that there is a tendency that we have of drifting away from the Scripture. We don't drift towards God. We Somehow, some reason, we, we drift away from Him unless we have action. And the remedy to drifting away, he gives us a clue, is to say, pay closer attention to the things you've heard. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is how do we pay attention to the things that we've heard and what is it that we have heard? We read in our text in verse 3, uh, so we have a tendency to drift away neglecting this great salvation that we've been given. You know the word salvation there in verse 3 is in Hebrew seven times more than any other book in the Bible. So this book is about Elevating Jesus 
and showing you who he is. And then he talks about salvation more than any other book in the Bible. That might surprise you. You would think the Gospels might have salvation among them more. Not so. The book Hebrews talks about salvation more than any other book. It talks about Jesus more than any other book. And so to ignore this salvation puts one in peril of facing God's wrath and facing the judgment that comes with that wrath. Do you realize that? If you neglect this salvation of God, there's no other offer. There's no other remedy for you. It's important that you know what this says, that you understand what he's talking about here. You, you might just think, well, salvation is elementary. It's the beginning process. I, I want to get into the meat. Salvation is the meat, my friends. It's the most important thing that you'll ever do in your life. And for some reason, we have a tendency to neglect that. And not just people in the church, but the world in general has a tendency to put aside the salvation of God. And I want you to know when you do that, and if you're doing that in your life today, just calling it second-rate information, you will face the wrath of God. You can't get around that. Remember, I told you, every created man, woman, boy, and girl has to face Jesus somewhere in their life. You'll face Him as Lord in this life, or you'll face Him as judge in the life to come. But it's still your life. One of the two. Face Him as Savior, face Him as judge. That's important to know. I don't want to face Him as judge. I took care of that 30 years ago in my life giving my heart to Christ. I don't always walk that straight path that He wants me to walk, but it is the main focus of my life. It's the direction I want to go. It's the way that I strive to go towards Him and His kingdom. It needs to be that for all of us. Don't think that salvation is a second-rate information. Don't think that there's other things important in your life above the salvation of Jesus Christ, and the person of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is telling us. Now, he gives us a warning because we have this tendency to drift away. He's not talking about the security of the believer. He's not talking about drifting away from God to the point that you're lost again. All right? What he's talking about here is not about you maintaining your Christian walk by your excellence by your determination, by your power. You can't do that. All of our life consists in the power and excellency of Jesus Christ, not in you. You are simply to surrender every day, every single day you surrender to the Lord in your life. And you say, God, help me to walk your path today. It's not a one-time thing that you said before you got baptized, and then you packed your heaven suitcase, and you went back out into the world living like you lived before. That's not Christianity. In fact, that's opposite of Christianity. If that's what you've done, you need to listen to what God is saying today to you. 
He wants you to understand that that profession that is made somewhere in your life is then lived out every single day. If you came to a place in your existence, in your life, where you uh, surrendered and made a profession of faith and you were baptized and now you're back out into the world, my friend, you've drifted away. You've drifted away. You've neglected the things God wants for you to do. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us this morning. Don't neglect. How do I stay in the Christian life? It's by the power of God. Look what Peter says in his first book. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How is it that I'm even able to maintain and sustain in the Christian life? Look what Jude says to us in the next screen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not you who keep yourself standing. It's not you who maintain the Christian life. It's him. He does it for you by you and through you, by your surrender to Him on a daily basis. You don't make a one-time profession in your life and then think that you're a Christian and go out and live like you want to live. That's not what the Bible teaches. So today, the writer of Hebrews gives us a warning. No, don't neglect the things you've heard because you'll drift away. Amen? You'll get out of touch with God in reality of Christianity. Beware of that. Don't fall prey to a false presumptive attitude that you have made a profession of faith of Christ and yet now you fail to live with the affection for Him that you need. With the affection for the church, the fellowship of your family here. Don't think that you can make a profession and then Neglect those things. Because when you do, you fall into dangerous territory. So let's talk about this warning and talk about what we have heard from Jesus Christ. We've heard the content. What have we heard from Him? Well, the content is this. Look in verse 1. For this reason. What reason? What's the reason that the writer of Hebrews says that? What's the reason... All that he has said before. Your Bible might even say, therefore, there. So what chapter 1 has said, 1 through 14, about Christ being elevated, Christ being supreme, because of that reason, that's what you've heard. The writer wants you to pay attention to that. The supremacy of Jesus Christ. What is that supremacy? How could I describe that to you? I found a quote from a gentleman that... Uh, was discussing Hebrews chapter 1-2, and he said this on the screen, His prophetic supremacy as the final word of God. You know, that's who Jesus is. We talked about that last week. God has spoken no more to man except through His Son. Jesus is the final word to you. You better pay attention to that. His cosmic supremacy. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. His Levitical supremacy. He is our high priest in heaven. There's no other greater than him for us. 
His angelic supremacy. He is superior to all of creation. Amen? Let's go on. This manifold supremacy of Christ is meant to be an anchor for the faith of the Christian in the midst of the stormy seas of life. It is meant to be that anchor for all imperiled souls for all time, if only they would come to Him. Wow, the supremacy of Christ. For that reason, the writer of Hebrews says, you need to pay closer attention to what you've heard. Amen? So let's do that. The content of the message of Jesus, the gospel message is what he's talking about. Pay close attention to the gospel. Does Jesus hold that view, that supreme view in your life? Is that who he is to you? Or does he have a little small part of your heart that you tuck away during the week, but you bring it out on Sunday morning and carry it to church with you? And you show it to everybody here. I I have Jesus in my heart. But then you go out those doors and you go back to life and you tuck Jesus back in that little insignificant place in your life. You see, Jesus must be supreme in your life. For the Christian, that is no debate. There is no option for that. For the true Christian, for the true believer, Jesus is supreme in our life. For this reason... The reason that He is God's final revelation to me, I need to pay attention to what He has said, to what He has done in my life. I need to pay attention to Him more than anything else in my life. He must be supreme in my life. That is what the writer is telling us. You know, we watch television, we read magazines, we look at articles. We are bombarded with ads about products that will make our life better. It will make us happy. It will make us whole. They are essential for us. Drive a certain car. Wear certain clothes. Smell a certain way. Invest in certain brokers. And without doing that, your life is second rate. Unless you follow these ads that we see on TV. And so, unfortunately, most of us jump on that merry-go-round. And we buy things, and we uh, wear things, and we go to places so that we can be somebody, so that we can look like somebody. And all the while, while we're on that merry-go-round that's spinning around in this world, we're moving, we're shakers, we're going, but we're not going anywhere. We're just going in a circle, rotating in life. And then we wonder why our life is not satisfying. And we start looking in other places to find satisfaction. We look in alcohol. We look in drugs. We look in sex. We look in finance. We look in this. We look in that. Trying to find satisfaction. Because we're on this merry-go-round that goes nowhere. Hebrews is telling us Jesus must be supreme in your life. Who's in charge of that merry-go-round? The Bible says Satan's in charge of that. He's the one promoting those ads and pushing that immorality and all the things that lure man in to that lifestyle. Jesus said about him, he is the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I came that you can have life and have it abundantly and have a full life. 
Have you done that with Him? Have you made Him supreme in your life? Is He number one? Are you following Him, surrendering to Him every single day? That's the content of the message that Jesus is sharing with us. He must be supreme. It's not just about Him saving me from my sin. It's about Him sustaining me in the Christian life. I can't live it without Him. The intent of His message, what is that? Verse 2 and 3, look. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The intent of the message is given to us by the writer of Hebrews by making a comparison. And he says this, in the Old Testament, the law of God was delivered to man through angelic beings. All right, it was given to us by the, the prophetic word of even angels as they delivered the message of God. The angel in the bush, the fiery bush. The angel that spoke to Jacob. The angel that did all of the uh, telling of the commands of God. We can understand that. So if that message of the Old Testament was important enough that a man had to follow it or he would die... How important is the message that Jesus himself gave you in the New Testament? If the Old Testament keeps you and I accountable to the law of God and the ways of God, how important is the message that God himself sent through his son, Jesus Christ? It is superior to the message of the Old Testament. It is greater than the message of the Old Testament. That's the intent of the message, is to motivate you and I to see that Jesus is supreme. He gave the message of the New Testament. The Old Testament was the law of God. The law did not produce life, did it? The law produced death. Because when I violated that law, it caused me to die. So the Old Testament law given produced death in me. The New Testament message in Jesus produced what in me? Life. You see that? So the New Testament message is superior to the Old Testament command. The commands are still important. They're still prominent. They're still valuable. They reveal to me God's heart. They revealed to me God's character, and he held men accountable for that. In fact, a man was seen picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, and they brought him to Moses. And Moses asked God, what do we do with this man? And God said, stone him to death. For picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, man was accountable to the law of God. But then Christ came. He fulfilled that law. He gave us the gospel message. The old law brought death to us. The new message brought life to us. The superiority of Christ over the commands of the Old Testament is seen and understood. Is the Old Testament bad? Of course it's not bad. Look what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. 
Even though it brought death to me, it revealed to me God's demands of righteousness and holiness. So the law was not the problem. What was the problem? The lawbreaker. I was the problem. I couldn't keep that law without breaking it. And neither could you. And so God understood all of that, and it was in His plan before He even made the world that you and I would not be able to hold, uphold His standard of living through the law. And so what happened? He sent His Son, and His Son lived the law. Praise Him. He's supreme. He lived the law. For 33 years, He lived the law. The law of God. Never breaking it one time. And so he did something you and I could not do. And then you know what he did? He took the penalty for us breaking it. We couldn't live it, but Jesus took my penalty for it. I should have been on that cross dying for my sin. But Jesus stepped in my place. Just like he stepped in yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours. He stepped in our place. He took the penalty of sin himself. What a Savior we have. He lived God's law for us, and then he took the penalty for us not living it. I don't know how else I could express him to you. Then he is supreme in the life of every Christian. He's supreme in the life of this world, but certainly in the life of every Christian. Now, all of this was confirmed to us. Let's look in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was at the first spoken through the Lord? It was confirmed to us by those who heard it. How was it confirmed? Nine authors writing 27 books of the New Testament, that confirmed the message of Jesus Christ being supreme. Amen? Nine authors writing 27 books of the New Testament confirmed it. Then God jumped in Himself. It says there in verse 4, God also bearing witness with them by both signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. So the proof was in the writings of the authors who heard the message, and then the proof was in God Himself performing miracles and signs and wonders among His people to validate the message. You see that? And so God has confirmed it. The gospel has confirmed it. The writers of the New Testament have confirmed it. What is it that they've confirmed? That Jesus is supreme. He's the highest that there is. If you don't take action on that, my friend, you will drift from it. Like I said, you don't drift towards God. You drift away from God. You need to take action on placing Jesus as supreme in your life. Now, I want to make a point to you about this. We're going to look at this, if I can get the screen. i got doctrine, parentheses, warning, and doctrine. And what do I mean by that? We're going to look at chapter 1, and that is all doctrine. The writer of Hebrews is teaching us about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, look in verse 14 with me. It says, 
And they being angels. And they, not all ministering, are they not all ministering spirits, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Now look in chapter 2, verse 5. He just picks up right where he left off in chapter 1, verse 5. For he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking of, so he, chapter 1, he's talking about the angels. And then chapter 2, verse 5, he continues talking about the angels. But in between there is chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the warning. So we got doctrine, we got warning, and we got more doctrine. So for some reason, the writer uh, interjects some warning in the middle of his doctrinal teaching to you and I. Now, why is he trying to warn me? He's warning me that if I'm not careful... I will drift away from the things I've heard. So he says to me, in the warning, pay closer attention to what you have heard so that you will not drift away from it, neglecting the great salvation that God has given to you, that God is offering you, that God has provided for you. Do you see how that works these parentheses doctrine is never just academic it is meant also to move my heart to action so this warning comes at a perfect place now why do i need to be warned mr writer of hebrews why do you need to warn me because i have a tendency and you have a tendency to drift away you notice this is not Meant, the word drift there is, is not meant to, to paddle on by or to rev up the engine and scoot on by. It's meant to simply have complacency. In fact, most people who are drifting away don't even know it until they're so far gone they wake up to it and they realize how far away from God they've gotten. The process of drifting doesn't shout and scream at you. It just whispers, quietly whispers as you drift on away from the anchor or you drift on away from the mooring that you were tied to. You simply are drifting away. We all have that tendency. Why do I have that tendency? Because my heart is deceitful. I can get into church and I can get committed and I can do all those things and then other things start to become more important. And you know, that's not always a, a, an awkward or bad thing to have other things in my life. But when they start becoming more important than my walk and relationship with Him and you, then it becomes dangerous for me. And it becomes dangerous for you because my heart is deceitful. But I listen to my heart and it's telling me everything's okay. And Jeremiah says, don't do that because your heart is sick and it is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? God understands it. God searches the heart. God knows that we have a tendency to drift. That's why God interjected a warning in the middle of this teaching so that you and I would not drift away from the things that we've heard. Think about Judas in the 12 disciples. Do you think that he really thought he might drift away when he joined that band of 
disciples and the Lord called him and he got a hold of them and he walked with them and ate with them and he did everything with them for three years. Do you think it entered Judas's mind that he might slip away until the last few weeks or months of his life and he began to connive with his heart that Jesus wasn't real and that he could get money if he sold Jesus to the Pharisees and he connived this plan with the Pharisees, do you think Judas would have drifted away? You know, we all know those people who have done that, don't we? We all know people who have drifted away. They start strong in the church. They get committed. They come regularly, but then they end up drifting away. Our church role in that office in there is full of them. Amen? Full of people who have been prayed for, Baptized, taught, loved, encouraged, and turned their back and walked out. They drifted away. They don't even realize it today, but they have begun that process, and many of them are far into that process. They're not taking, I'm not talking about losing their salvation now. I'm just talking like Judas. He never had salvation to lose it. He was in the middle of religion. He was in the middle of the things of Christ. He was in the upper room that night with them, for goodness sakes. He had it at his fingertips, but he never possessed it. And so he drifted away as an unbeliever, incapable of having salvation through Christ. It wasn't intentional, right? It's not intentional for these people on our church roll who aren't here today. But what does it come from? It comes from a slothful attitude of disciplines. Amen? And that's what the Lord gives us in, in the text. It's not so much uh, required. There's not much required for my heart to turn cold. Just a little neglect of reading my Bible can begin that process. Just a little neglect of praying to the Lord can begin that process of my heart turning cold. Just a little neglect of church attendance. Just a little neglect of fellowshipping with one another. And before you know it, boom! Your spiritual resolve is weakened. And you are not as strong as you think you are. Because you have not surrendered and committed to the Lord. Oh, you might be sitting there today. You're looking for something new, preacher. I want a new truth. I want something different. I want a secret formula. Let me tell you something. The simple fact of neglecting the things that God has already given you is enough to cause you to drift away. What are those? Praying, reading your Bible, attending church, attending fellowships with fellow Christians. That will cause you to drift away. So the writer says, pay closer attention to the things you've heard. If you don't take action, God will take action. The gospel message is built on a sense of accountability. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Amen? There are those who think they are. They might have a Tonto with them. But there's no Lone Ranger Christians. We need each other, and we need you as well. So how should I respond? It's kind of frightening to think of the seriousness that God places on the gospel message and the idea and the fact that my own heart is deceitful. That's a scary situation for us to be in. God is serious about the gospel, and my heart is deceitful. How do I respond to that? How do I handle that? What do I do? 
I need to do two things, all right? Here's number one. Hear the message. Hear what he says. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. What is it that I've heard? I've heard the gospel message. I've heard what the Lord is trying to win people to him, to share the truth with people, to grasp the words of Jesus. When you sit there and you start daydreaming, and when you sit there and start writing notes, or you whisper to the person next to you, you are imperiling your soul, brother, to what God is saying to you. Some of you this morning haven't heard a word I'm saying because you're thinking about something else. You came here to hear God's message, to hear the word, not Clay's message, God's message to you. And when you start writing notes or you start doing something else or you're on your phone or you're doing whatever, you are imperiling your soul to the word of God and what he wants to say to you. Amen? So think about that. Listen to the message. The gospel is elementary to a degree, but it is not to a greater degree, because it is the deeds, the fullness, the life, the purposes, and the plans of the Lord Jesus Christ, all wrapped up in the gospel message. And that message is preached every Sunday from pulpits across this great land and around the world. The message of God being preached to man. Pay attention to what He is saying to you. There's nothing elementary about that. If you're having trouble hearing and staying focused, then ask Him. Say, God, I come, but I, I, I want to hear. Help me to hear. Help me to, to listen. And I promise you, He'll speak to you. You might only hear half of it, but it'll be the half that you need to hear. You might hear one paragraph of it. It'll be the paragraph you need to hear. Ask God to speak, and He will speak. He is faithful. The second thing you need to do is heed what you have heard. Amen. The opposite of neglect is to heed. He says, do not neglect this great salvation, but believe in it and keep on believing in it. Make the gospel your passion. Make Jesus Christ supreme in your life. That's the message from Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. Make him the forefront of everything you do. This will have such a radical effect on your life. It will change your conversations. When you go to work tomorrow... If you commit to Him today in that way, making Him supreme, when you go to work tomorrow and you start talking to people, guess what's going to come up? Religion. And guess what you can do? You can talk about Jesus. Because He's supreme in your life. And everybody will mock and laugh, but I promise you there will be one in the crowd that hears what you say. God's words do not return to Him empty without fulfilling what he sent them out to do. So when you are discussing things at work and the gospel comes up or religion comes up and Jesus Christ is interjected, that is God doing that. It's not you. You are on the front line. You're the one that might receive the blows of defensive moves by the opposing party, but it is God doing the work. And God is speaking, and I promise you, in a crowd of men, there will be at least one that listens to what you're saying. Because what you say comes from God, not out of your mouth. It comes from the Father. Heed what you have heard. Amen? Do what you know to do. 
this commitment to Him, making Him supreme, will change your conversations. It will change the way you play and recreate. It will change the way that you work. It will change the way you handle difficulties. And it will lift you up in the uncertainty times of life. The question is today, are you drifting without even noticing it? Think about it. Where are you at today with the Lord in your Bible and your prayer life and your church and the fellowship of believers? Where are you with that? That's the beginning signs, my friend, of drifting away when you start neglecting those very basic things that God has given us. There's not going to be a new revelation for you. Why? Because chapter 1 says so. God has spoken finally in His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no more word to come. Oh, people might get a message from God, but it won't be a changed message. It will be in the Bible message. But you need to understand God's dealing and God's reaching and God's desiring you this morning. Won't you come lest you drift from it. Let's pray. Father, bless your word today. And Lord, I know that you speak volumes to us as we uh, find ourselves in these scriptures with the neglect of things that you've put in front of us. And Lord, I pray for my forgiveness for that. I ask you that, Lord, to forgive me and help me. Minister to me, Lord. Speak to me. I'm calling out, and I know that others are as well. I pray that you hear our prayer and that you speak volumes to us. And Lord, love on us. We need that. And Lord, we need your direction. We need your hand on us. I need your Holy Spirit to fill my life. I need you to move in me. I need you to give me words, Lord, to speak when my friends and my co-workers and my teachers and all the people in my life bring up topics of discussion help me to stand on your truth not to be ashamed give me boldness of words father because i know they're from you and lord i'll take the abuse i'll take the mocking because i know the outcome is that somebody will hear your message and somebody's life will be changed just like mine was long ago because men stood on the truth and came to my house and told me about Jesus. And I pray you bless those two men today. And I pray you bless all who are in earshot of your word. We ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You come.